Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This late 80s underwater masterpiece invited moviegoers to revisit the beguiling world beneath the waves where a spirited mermaid dared to dream of a life beyond the ocean's shimmering horizon. Its enduring appeal lies in its ability to resonate with audiences of all ages, weaving a narrative that transcends its fairy tale origins. Filled with memorable songs, this story of love, sacrifice, and the pursuit of one's true self remains as poignant and relevant today as it did over three decades ago. So plunge back into the magical waters with me to rediscover the charm, music, and timeless allure that has made The Little Mermaid from 1989 a crown jewel in Disney's animated legacy on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. It's the story of Ariel, a beautiful young mermaid who wants to become human. He's very handsome, isn't he? I don't know. He looks kind of hairy and slobbery to me. Not that one. The other one. And she'll strike a bargain with a powerful sea witch. Have we got a deal? To make her dream come true. What I want from you is... Your voice. My voice? You've got it, sweet case. Ariel's been turned into a human. Have you lost your senses completely? The human world, it's a mess. Now, the Little Mermaid is exploring the mysteries of her strange new world. But to regain her voice, the sea witch's spell must be broken. Move it! We got an emergency here! Broken by the kiss of true love. Kiss the girl. It's Walt Disney Pictures' 28th full-length animated motion picture, featuring dozens of delightful new Disney characters and seven magical new songs. This holiday season, share the wonder and magic of a very special entertainment event. A fantastic adventure above the waves and under the sea. Under the sea! Under the sea! Walt Disney Pictures, The Little Mermaid. I'm Tim Williams, the mastermind behind the mic at the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Joining me on each epic episode is a guest co-host who's as crazy about 80s flicks as they are about wearing parachute pants and solving Rubik's Cubes. We're diving into nostalgic treasures we saw at the local theater, rented on VHS tapes, or discovered on cable TV. From blockbusters that make you say, 
to hidden gems that'll have you screaming. They're here. It's a blast to relive these old memories and share our thoughts on what made these movies so special. We reminisce about our first time watch experiences, share our favorite scenes, and even discover fascinating behind the scenes tales about the cast and crew along the way. Haven't hit that subscribe button yet? What are you waiting for? Come on, do it. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And hey, while you're at it, be a pal and drop us a written review along with a five-star rating to tell us what you think about us. The sportos, the motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. Take a day off and come hang out with us on social media. Just search 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And don't forget to bookmark 80sflickflashback.com for more gnarly content. Get out of town. I didn't know you did anything creative. Want to crank it all the way up to 11? Become a supporter on buymeacoffee.com for only $5 a month. Do or do not. There is no try. Click the link in our episode show notes. And while you're there, soak up the extra trivia and fun stuff that didn't make it into today's show. Thanks again for tuning in. Now, let's get right into today's episode. Welcome to the party, pal. Well, welcome in, everybody. So glad to have you on this special episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Uh, It is special because it's a rare episode where you just get me. (laughs) Unfortunately, my co-host had to back out several times. So, to keep it from being delayed any further, I just decided to go ahead and do this one solo. So it's a little different from our other formats. I usually have a co-host with me and we kind of banter back and forth. So we won't have that fun on this episode, but still want to give you the experience of re-watching The Little Mermaid and kind of sharing some behind the scenes stories as we typically do. So just kind of stay with the format. When did I see The Little Mermaid for the first time? I don't think that I saw this one in the theaters. I think because in 89, I was, you know, kind of coming out of middle school, going into high school. So animation, animated movies, especially at this point, because Disney, the Disney animation movies had kind of taken a little bit of a lull at that point. I think the one before this one, Oliver and Company, I didn't even see. I don't even think I've ever, I don't even think I've seen it to this day. I went back and saw this, I think, when Beauty and the Beast became such a big hit and, of course, Aladdin, Lion King. I got more into Aladdin and Lion King. Uh, Those are, you know, not so much princess stories, I guess. So maybe for a teenage boy, those didn't really appeal to me. Uh, But I do remember the songs being nominated and so being a big music person, the songs were what kind of drew me to go back and rewatch it. So... I want to say that I watched it on video probably a couple of years after it had come out, but now I have a daughter, and so the last time we watching it for the last time I saw it before we watching it for the podcast was probably when I introduced my daughter to it, which would have been probably about ten years ago uh, because she's fourteen now, so she was probably like four or five when. Uh, she watched it for the, maybe, yeah, about four or five when she watched it for the first time. And uh, I had a D, I still had, do I have the DVD copy? No, I have a DVD copy of Aladdin and the Lion King. We got a copy of it somehow, it was on Disney, I don't remember now. 
but uh, she loved it and she watched the uh, I think Disney Channel would show like the old cartoons uh, of Little Mermaid and of course there were some direct direct video sequels that came out as well that she watched so I remember watching this with her for the first time and of course you know seeing it as a teenager versus seeing it as an adult and then having a very young child watch it, it gets a little scary in some spots, and I wasn't sure how well she would take it, especially towards the end, but she uh, she really enjoyed it, and she's continued to enjoy it. Of course, we saw the Little Mermaid live action that came out earlier this year, and she really liked it, and so there were some things in it that I liked. I didn't think the music was as good. I, the arra- Some of the arrangements they did took away from the took away from the songs or I guess I'm just so used to hearing the originals the changes they made they they removed some things uh the background like it didn't sound as full as the originals and so that that kind of bothered me some but the newer songs were pretty fun but anyway this isn't about the remake this is about the original so let's jump into story origin and pre-production The Little Mermaid was originally planned as part of one of Walt Disney's earliest feature films, a proposed package film featuring vignettes of Hans Christian Andersen tales. Development started soon after Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in the late 1930s, but was delayed due to various circumstances. In 1985, Ron Clements became interested in a film adaptation of The Little Mermaid while he was serving as a director on The Great Mouse Detective, which came out in 1986. Clements discovered the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale while browsing through a bookstore. Believing the story provided an ideal basis for an animated feature film and keen on creating a film that took place underwater, Clements wrote and presented a two-page treatment of The Little Mermaid at Walt Disney Studios to Chief Jeffrey Katzenberg at a quote-unquote gong show style idea suggestion meeting. Katzenberg passed passed on the project because at the time, the studio was in development on a sequel to their live-action mermaid movie, Splash, which had come out in 1984, and felt The Little Mermaid would be too similar of a project. The next day, however, Katzenberg approved the idea for possible development along with Oliver and Company. While in production in the 80s, the staff found, by chance, original story and visual development work done by Kay Nelson for Disney's proposed 1930s Anderson feature. Many of the changes made by the staff in the 30s to his original story were coincidentally the same as the changes made by Disney writers in the 1980s. So that's kind of cool that uh, the changes that they wanted to make to the original story, the original fairy tale in the 30s, were very much the same kind of changes they wanted to make even in the 80s. So that year, Clements and Musker expanded the two-page idea into a 20-page rough script eliminating the role of the mermaid's grandmother and expanding the roles of the merman king and the sea witch. However, the film's plans were momentarily shelved as Disney focused its attention on who framed Roger Rabbit and Oliver Company as more immediate releases. In 1987, songwriter Howard Ashman became involved with the writing and development of The Little Mermaid after he was asked to contribute a song to Oliver and Company. He proposed changing the minor character Clarence, the English butler crab, to a Jamaican crab and shifting the music style throughout the film to reflect this. At the time, Katzenberg, Clements, Musker, and Ashman revised the story format to make The Little Mermaid a musical with a Broadway-style story structure, with the song sequences serving as the tent poles of the film. Ashman and composer Alan Minken both noted for their work as the writers of the successful off-Broadway stage musical Little Shop of Horrors teamed up to compose the entire song score. In 1988, with Oliver and company out of the way, The Little Mermaid was slated as the next major 
Disney release. So, uh, looked like it was a pretty good plan, but I do remember, not so much at this one, but I remember when Beauty and the Beast came out, how it was compared to the Broadway musical and with the opening numbers and stuff. So I don't see it as much in this one. It's very much more pronounced in Beauty and the Beast. But, you know, going back and watching it again, I do like that they, they chose that format of kind of like the uh, Broadway musical format for the story and for the songs. It makes sense. And now, these messages. Hey there, fellow 80s movie aficionados. Are you ready to embark on a nostalgia-filled journey to the greatest era of cinema? Then look no further than the Retro Life For You 80s Movie Podcast. Join us every week as we rewind the VHS tapes, dust off those Betamax classics, and dive headfirst into the neon-soaked, totally tubular world of the 1980s movies. From the Brat Pack to Action Heroes, we've got it all covered. Breakfast Club, Ghostbusters, E.T. and Indiana Jones, and more. It's like a trip in Doc Brown's time machine, but without the DeLorean. So whether you're a diehard 80s film buff, or just curious about the cinematic gems of the past, Retro Life for You is your ticket to the ultimate movie time warp. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Retro Life for You, and we can be found anywhere you listen to your podcast, as well as on our website, www.retrolife, the number four, the letter U.com. Are you a fan of movies and TV shows inspired by comics? Ready for a podcast that dives deep into the thrilling world of adaptations? Well, look no further. Welcome to Moving Panels, the podcast where we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. This is your go-to podcast for all things comics on screen. I'm your host, Laramie Wells, and every Monday we explore the dynamic universe where ink meets action. We break down the classics, reveal hidden gems, and uncover the creative process behind your favorite adaptations. Subscribe to Moving Panels now on your favorite podcast platform and join us on this epic journey through the pages of comics and onto the big screen. Remember, new episodes drop every Monday. Don't miss out. Moving Panels, where every panel has a story and every adaptation is a blockbuster. Subscribe today and I'll see you on the other side of the page. All right, well, let's jump into casting. The design of the villainous Ursula was based upon drag performer Divine. An additional early inspiration before Divine was Joan Collins in her role as Alexis Carrington on the television series Dynasty due to a suggestion from Howard Ashman, who was a fan of the series. That's pretty funny. Pat Carroll was not Clements and Musker's first choice to voice Ursula. The original script had been written with B. Arthur of the Disney-owned TV series The Golden Girls in Mind. After Arthur turned the part down, actresses such as Nancy Marchand, Nancy Wilson, Roseanne Barr, Charlotte Ray, Jennifer Saunders, and Elaine Stritch were considered for the part. Stritch was eventually cast as Ursula but clashed with Howard Ashman's style of music production and was replaced by Pat Carroll. Various actors auditioned for additional roles in the film, including Jim Carrey for the role of Prince Eric and comedians Bill Maher and Michael Richards for the role of Scuttle. So... Uh, just a few people thrown in there for some good measure. So 
not going to cover a whole lot of the the cast on this one because most of them are more known for their voice acting and not really much else but I did want to kind of hit the the high points here like we try to do so let's start with of course Ariel herself played by Jodie Benson or voiced by Jodie Benson of course she's best known for providing the voice of Ariel in this animated movie and throughout the other uh films including its sequel prequel and television series spinoff as well as many other Disney works going up to the present day of the 20s, 2020s. I think that I even read that she voiced Ariel in the very brief cameo mm-hmm. that Ariel had in uh, Wreck-It Ralph, Ralph Breaks the Internet. Or so, um, so I thought that was interesting that she still has been vo- she has still been voicing Ariel even to this day, which can't be said for a lot of the voice actors uh, in the major Disney animated movies. Little trivia there, Benson also voices Vanessa, Ursula's human alter ego, and disguise she uses to sabotage her deal with Ariel. So uh, she does voice Vanessa as well, which makes sense. Then as Prince Eric, we had Christopher Daniel Barnes, which I knew I recognized that name. He also goes by C.D. Barnes as well. Of course, he's best known for his voice as the title superhero in the 1990s animated series Spider-Man, and of course as Prince Eric and the Little Mermaid. He's had it on-screen films. He played Greg Bundy in the films The Brady Bunch Movie in 95 and A Very Brady Sequel in 96. That's probably where I remembered him the most from. He also starred in 22 episodes of the science fiction TV series Starman as the 14-year-old son of the title character played by Robert Hayes. Starman was a movie that came out in 1984. They had a TV show about it. That was not a show that I really watched, and it wasn't a movie that I actually watched until I rewatched it here recently, so I'll catch that. Maybe next year in one of our uh, Forgotten 80s flicks. Christopher Daniel Barnes was only 16 years old when he recorded his voice for Prince Eric. The producers felt his voice sounded much older than he really was, which is true. I didn't peg him as being 16 uh, based on his voice. And then as mentioned before, Pat Carroll played Ursula. Uh, With the late 80s, Pat became a voiceover favorite on numerous animated programs, notably for this movie, and other voices in a goofy movie in 1995. Into the Millennium, the feisty character lady still gave voice life to many Disney-related characters and in video games and special projects. Some elderly film work include Outside Sales in 2006, Freedom Riders in 2007, Nancy Drew in 2007, Bridesmaids in 2011. She also guested on the drama series ER in 1994 and provided the voice of Old Lady Crowley in the Disney TV animated series Rapunzel's Tangled Adventure. Then we have Kenneth Mars as King Triton. Scheduling conflicts with Star Trek The Next Generation forced Patrick Stewart to turn down the role of King Triton. Uh, Kenneth Mars is primarily a voice actor. There wasn't much uh, information about him. Playing Sebastian the Crab, probably my favorite character, Samuel E. Wright. Although commonly confused as being Jamaican, Sebastian is actually Trinidadian. Samuel E. Wright confirmed this was in fact the accent he used while voicing the character. And then last on the list of the cast we're going to cover is Buddy Hackett as Scuttle. Of course, Buddy Hackett is best remembered for roles including Marcellus Washburn and The Music Man in 1962, one of my favorite movies. He also played Benji Benjamin and It's a Mad, 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 Mad World in 1963. He was also in The Love Bug in 1968 and, of course, the voice of Scuttle in The Little Mermaid. So I, I must have seen like old movies with him uh, when I was a kid, because I definitely recognized him for sure uh, in the role. So, 
All right, iconic scenes, favorite scenes. So for me, the I don't know if it's the most icon. I guess the most iconic scene is probably when uh, Ariel is singing. Is that singing part of your world when she comes up and the 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 waves splash behind her? I remember that being like a really big, you know, played a lot. Uh, favorite scenes. My favorite scenes are usually the song scenes. Like my two favorite songs. I guess because why Sebastian is my favorite character. The two, his two songs, uh, "Under the Sea" and "Kiss the Girl," are probably one of my most favorite. And I love "Kiss the Girl." It's such a number one. It's such a great song. And then I just loved how you know how it looked, how they you know say how they filmed it, but I guess how they drew it because it's animated. But that that scene really stood out to me as being, uh, you know, one of the one of the best scenes of the movie. I don't have a guest co-host to share their favorite scene, so please send me a message and let me know what your favorite scene or what you thought the iconic scene was for The Little Mermaid. This is going to be a very short episode, by the way, because we're at trivia already, and I'm going to hit these pretty quick. So, <laughs> all right, so let's talk about some scenes and some trivia. Uh, I did think this was pretty cool. Ariel was quite deliberately made a redhead in order to distinguish her from Daryl Hannah's character in Splash. We talked about how they were trying not to make it like the sequel to Splash, which of course never came to fruition. But Ariel's body type and personality were based on Alyssa Milano from Who's the Boss? The effect of her hair underwater was based on footage of astronaut Sally Ride in weightless conditions. Although that was cool. But I didn't, you know, of course I had a crush on Alyssa Milano as a kid, so... I could see why, uh, you know, she was a good model and even kind of like the spunkiness that she had. If you were a fan of uh, Who's the Boss, I, I see that uh, similarity there for sure. This was cool, like talking about the, um, actually all, all the rest of my, my trivia, I think. Nope, I got a few others. But I got a big, 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 big section about the song Part of Your World. So here's a few things about that. Ariel's rendition of Part of Your World set a precedent for subsequent Disney animated musicals where the protagonist would vocalize his or her desires early in the film. The song was referred to by Howard Ashman as the I Want quote-unquote song. You can also see that used as the song Bell in Beauty and the Beast, One Jump Ahead in Aladdin, I Just Can't Wait to Be King in The Lion King, Just Around the River Bend in Pocahontas, Out There in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Go the Distance and Hercules, Reflection and Mulan, Strangers Like Me and Tarzan, I'm Still Here and Treasure Planet, Almost There and The Princess and the Frog, and When Will My Life Begin Entangled. You know, it's a long list, but that kind of gives you the idea how that really started that whole idea of that, the main character having that, you know, the life they want, uh, what they wish they could have kind of a song, which I thought was cool. While writing Part of Your World, Alan Minkin and Howard Ashman discovered the song shared contextual and rhythmic similarities between Somewhere That's Green, a song from their earlier musical, Little Shop of Horrors, which was a movie version in 1986 we've covered on the podcast as well, uh, leading to humorously nicknamed Part of Your World as Somewhere That's Dry, which I thought was pretty cool. But I didn't, I know I never put those two together. Those two songs are very similar until reading this, and I hear it now. It's very evident. Uh, amazingly enough, part of your world was nearly cut. Jeffrey Katzenberg felt that it was boring, quote unquote, as well as being too far off the heads of the children. I'm sorry, too, being too far over the heads of the children for whom it was intended. At a test screening, children were restless during the song, which did not have fin- which did not have its finished animation. 
In particular, one child that sat in front of Katzenberg and spilled his popcorn was more interested in picking up the popcorn than actually watching the sequence of the song being sung. John Musker, Ron Clements, and Howard Ashman all pleaded their case and begged Katzenberg to let the song stay to no avail. Ultimately, the one who managed to convince him to give it a second chance was the animator of the sequence, Glenn Keane. Another screening was set up, this time with an adult audience. It was a greater success, even reportedly moving some members to tears, and so the song was left in the film. Katzenberg later said that he was happy no one listened to him because he couldn't imagine the film without the song. I would agree that as well. Glenn Keane, the lead artist for Ariel, as we mentioned before, admitted in an interview that for the longest time he was embarrassed by Ariel reaching out towards the surface in the last chorus of Part of Your World. He thought it was way too cheesy, but had to leave it in to meet his deadline. Ten years later, however, Keane was approached by a young woman who told him that when she saw the film as a kid, all she wanted to do was take Ariel's hand and help her out of the water. Keane has been deeply proud of the scene ever since. So that's pretty cool. That's uh, pretty much all the trivia that I have on that one. I do have like a, a one other thing, but I'll put that in the show notes. And now, these messages. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! Let's talk about box office and critical reception. So Little Mermaid debuted in North American theaters on November 17th, 1989, and it made $6.1 million in its opening weekend, ranking in third place behind Harlem Nights and Look Who's Talking. It currently sits at 91% on Tomato Meter with an 88% audience score and a 7.6 out of 10 with viewers and 88 on Metacritic. So that's interesting that Metacritic is the exact same as the audience score. And that's about where I would put it. I mean, it's great. It's If I had to rank the Disney movies from that early era because I mean the Disney movies that I love are though is Little Mermaid Beauty and the Beast Aladdin The Lion King after that I didn't really get into Hercules I didn't get into Hunchback of Notre Dame the ones that came after it uh, really that much so I think Lion King and Aladdin kind of battle for first for me and Beauty and the Beast so it's like Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid kind of battle for (laughs) third and fourth as well Uh, but they're fun they're enjoyable but they're not ones that really resonated with me so much as a kid with the nostalgic factor but uh, but still great I enjoyed I've enjoyed re-watching them and uh, having my daughter uh, re-watch them as as she was younger and kind of grew up with those movies too like she's seen uh, Aladdin she's seen Lion King uh, she's seen Beauty and the Beast so it's very cool now to have her experience that uh, at a much younger age and and still appreciate it 
even with the kind of what we call now old school animation, which it still looks really good. Like even watching it now, I know they've, you know, Disney Plus, you can watch in 4K or whatever. Um, it still looks really good. I mean, there's some parts that, you know, look a little dated, but uh, it still translates really well, really well. So, all right, folks, that's going to do it for us on this. Thanks so much. I was like the quickest episode I've ever done. Uh, will definitely be one of the shortest. Uh, I will have a co-host for the next episode. I do promise, but please uh, be sure to follow, subscribe, rate and review the show. Uh, send us an email at info at 80sflickflashback.com. You know, share something about since this was such a short episode. Maybe I'll do a part two and you guys can uh, send me some information. Like, tell me what your favorite scene was, most iconic scene. Uh, just or tell me about your first time watch experience seeing Little Mermaid or just any anything you'd like to share about the movie. And maybe I'll do a part two and, and, and have you guys as my co-host uh, send me a little voice. You can just send a voice message as well on the show notes so you can find that there too so anyway if you enjoyed the episode share it with someone who loves 80s flicks as much as we do you can follow us on social media facebook instagram and tiktok support the show through buymeacoffee.com buy a t-shirt or sweatshirt i just released my winter and christmas holiday shirts so there's a few on there now i've got a few more to add uh, this week as well Uh, you can find the merch on tpublic.com and also on our website all right Thanks again for listening. Thanks, everybody. I'm Tim Williams from the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Good night, good people. here? It's over. Go home. Go.